is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank that. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergaff. Hey, thanks for joining us for the podcast once again today. On these Tuesdays, we talk with the voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Alan Horton, oftentimes while he is on the road, like today, as the Timberwolves play the Chicago Bulls uh, tonight at the United Center. And Alan, since you were last on the podcast with Greg Snow, uh, the Timberwolves go two and one uh, since then. Win against Dallas that didn't play anybody, uh, a loss to Orlando that they could have won, and then a and then kind of a dominant win against Houston. Pretty good week. There was the one you know tough loss in between, but still the Wolves keep winning more games than they're losing. That's for sure. Yeah, and that's and that's the biggest key, right? Over 82 games, Todd, if you can just avoid, you know, they've only lost two in a row twice this year. I mean, yeah. that's you do that over the course of the year, uh, you're going to be in really good shape at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And that's important to keep in mind. I think the coaching staff has um, an eye on that, even though, um, you know, the Wolves got off to such a good start, and then the calendar year turned, and the Wolves have gone 11 and 8 since. Still mm-hmm. pretty good, three games over 500, but certainly not – the 24 and seven pace that they had um, through through New Year's, and um, it's I think it is important to keep that kind of longer term goal in mind, even though there have been some you know some troubling losses that that loss to Orlando that you mentioned, and mm-hmm. you know in prior weeks a loss to Charlotte and some other games that have slipped away here over the last uh, four or five weeks. Have you noticed something? I mean, what is it? Why were they 24 and seven and now 11 and eight since the calendar turned? Is there anything in particular that you've seen? Well, I think it's first off, it's really, I think it's really hard to maintain a, a, a like a twenty-four and seven type pace the entire year. I mean, that, that sure. means you're going to win what sixty or sixty-five games. That's yeah. that's only been done by you know the elite of the elite. And, and as good as the Timberwolves have been, I don't think they think for a second that you know they've that they're a, a sixty-five win team sure. um, or sixty-win team. So I think that's important to keep in mind. You just most times teams can't sustain that level of winning for an entire season. Um, and so I think I, I think that's just the biggest thing. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, the uh, uh, win against Houston. They they started kind of slow, and and Ant didn't seem to be very aggressive. And then all of a sudden, man, he just dominated the third quarter, and it was it was game over at that point. But it's so strange uh, that how a, f- a switch can flip both ways. How often have you seen it where the second half looks completely different than the first half did? I mean, I think you can break it down even further by quarter sometimes. Sure. You can see a really good quarter, and then you follow it up and you have this awful quarter. Um, I think it was against Houston. It was You had zero turnovers in the first quarter, yeah. and yep. things are going okay. And then nine in the second, you're thinking, well, what what happened here? What Why are these two completely different games when you have that kind of wild swing in something as crucial as a category like uh, turnovers? Uh, but you're right, like first half, second half, that's just – you know that's the beauty of a forty-eight minute game. It is it is long enough that you have these kind of different runs and you have different momentums that happen in the game. It's just it's pretty rare. You know, just like we were talking about with the course of the season, it's rare to have a dominant team just be really good all season long yeah. and be super consistent. Um, same thing happens in a forty-eight minute game. It's tough to put forty-eight straight minutes together where you're just about the best team and you're constantly building on your lead and you're playing at this really high level. There are going to be ebbs and flows within a game um, and within a season. And sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's better to be good later in the games, I think, and, and have some have some really solid fourth quarters, which the Wolves did, you know, in building that 24-7 and record. Mm-hmm. They, they had one of the top fourth quarter 
um, teams in the NBA, and that's kind of slipped over the last four or five weeks here. But um, it's that's kind of the beauty of the game is it goes up and uh, you have the ups and downs. Do teams and players, uh, as the trade deadline approaches, and I, th- I think it's this week, isn't it, Alan? The trade deadline. It is. It's in two days. Yeah. So. Do players think about that? I mean, they concerned about it at all? I wouldn't think the star players for the Wolves aren't going anywhere, but some of the more role-type players, are they looking over their shoulder a little? Absolutely. Every mm-hmm. single year, um, you know, it, it, this time of the year comes up and the players are, you know, they get paid an awful lot of money. Um, mostly the top-end guys make more than the, the bottom roster guys, but mm-hmm. still, um, you know, one of the downsides of their job is that they can be shipped off to who knows where at the moment's notice. And so... Um, for anybody who's kind of not locked into that starting five, or I think for the Wolves case, probably, you know, the top eight players. Um, I think you throw Nas Reed in there, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Kyle Anderson. Um, I think those guys uh, probably can feel pretty good about their security, although you never know. Um, but I think, yeah, for other guys, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. Front offices are talking to other front offices. Agents are talking to other agents. Agents are talking to front offices. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you'll see kind of a flurry of activity. I don't know how big um, some of the names that will be on the move in the next couple of days, but I think you'll see. I think you'll see a lot of activity, and maybe not of it. Um, like I said, big names, but sort of end of roster and, and teams trying to add something, um, or teams that are headed in the wrong direction that have assets that they can move on from and try to try to get more assets. So it's going to be a really interesting next couple of days. It's a little easier for fans to sit and imagine baseball trades. There's no salary cap. You don't have to worry about that. It's usually one team and one team. There's an occasional three-teamer. Almost no NBA trades happen with just two teams because of the salary cap ramifications and so forth. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah, I, I can't think you're, I think you're right about the baseball. I hadn't really thought about that, but... Yeah, matching monies is a is a is a big thing. Um, you have to come within a certain percentage of someone else's salary. So, the, so you have to come within seventy five percent. I think some let's use that number. Okay. Um, if you're acquiring someone that makes more, you've got to get up to about seventy five percent of that salary to send back. So you're not sending, um, you know, a hundred million dollar player for a you know fourteenth man on the roster making the league minimum. They don't allow that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does become a little trickier and and. And once you start involving other teams, that makes it even more difficult. I remember a few years ago, uh, let's see, we just saw Dylan Brooks in Houston. So when mm-hmm. he was in Memphis a few years ago, there was a trade. I don't know if it was toward the deadline or it was in the off season, but there was a trade between a, a possible three-team trade, excuse me, between Phoenix, Washington, and Memphis. And they had kind of worked it out for a couple of weeks. But here was the problem, Todd, is that they thought um, – Phoenix, I think it was, thought that Dylan Brooks was coming to Phoenix. And it turned out they had another Brooks on the team named Marshawn Brooks. And so <laughs> Memphis was set on sending Marshawn Brooks, not Dylan Brooks. They like Dylan Brooks. They want to keep him. But Phoenix <laughs> thought they had Dylan Brooks. And so the whole thing got to the point where they were about to complete it before they finally realized that they're not talking about the same Brooks. Um, and, and the deal got scrapped. And it eventually uh, turned into, I think, a two-team deal between Washington and Phoenix. So Memphis was out. But um, that's how that's how complicated it can get, I guess. Uh, you better make sure you're talking about first names and last names to make sure there's no confusion. Oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall there. Is Marshawn, does Dylan Brooks go by that? Is that his regular name or something? Oh, no, it's a different guy. Oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> this trade is off. <laughs> right. right, exactly. I can only yeah, imagine. Definitely, 
they're definitely different pieces, uh, different players too at different stages of their career. Marshawn was just holding on at that point, right. um, after I think a few good years in in uh, Brooklyn or New Jersey, and, and Dylan was certainly you know still in the league, and gosh, just signed a just signed his eighty million dollar deal in, in Houston. So yeah. that, there's a big difference between those two Brookses. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Hey, you know, and and I don't want to get into the weeds too far on the NBA salary cap. It's it's. Uh, you know, each league runs their cap differently. The NBA has what they call a first apron and a second apron. Does that mean when they cross that, then the luxury tax starts to kick in on them? Because yeah, I see that I the, so. the Timberwolves are in that first apron uh, at this point already. So they have to be careful about taking on more salary unless they're fine with paying that luxury tax. We know Glenn Taylor did that in the past to accommodate Kevin Garnett, um, but hadn't done it in a while. But now they're into that luxury tax space again. Yeah, I, I don't. I thought they were. I thought they were beneath it this year. I think the big question is next year okay. that they're well into it and approaching the second one. Mm. And I think those two levels are simply um, a different tax rate that you get taxed on every dollar you spend. So if it's mm-hmm. uh, not one for one, some you know, the second apron, and then it becomes three for one or something like that. There's also a tax if you're a team that's in the luxury tax multiple years, the repeater tax. So there's there's a lot of different. Um, yeah, that is getting pretty deep into the weeds in, in yeah. terms of the CBA and how it's set up and everything. But I think the Wolves, I, I thought they were under, um, and I think I think they might have a little bit of wiggle room. The question is, you know, as always at every trade deadline, can you, um, can, is there someone out there you think can help the team, and is that team willing to take what you're willing to offer to get that player? Yeah. Um, and that's where things become really interesting because – the, team, the Timberwolves are the number one team in the West. Well, tied with Oklahoma City right now, but they're in a really good spot. And there is some pressure to try to, you know, I think maybe look at the recent, uh, the recent, you know, eleven and eight record and say, well, we could, you know, what could we use? What could help this team? Um, but you don't have a lot of trade assets. You don't want to get rid of the players you want to keep. Uh, you don't have a lot of first round picks to send out. Maybe you could send out some second round picks. I don't know how valuable those are. Um, and, you know, honestly, with the end of the roster the way it is for the Timberwolves, I'm not sure um, any teams really value those players a, a lot either. So I, I'm not sure what you're giving up and what you're getting. Usually it's a distressed asset from some other team. And so maybe that wouldn't help. Um, also, I think you have to think about the chemistry of the team, too, sure. the way things have been going. Um, even if you're not getting a big contribution from some of the guys at the end of the roster, um, are they contributing in other ways? Are they, are they part of the fabric of this team? That's one of the reasons why they're 35 and 15 and 20 games over the 500 mark. So yeah. there's a lot to consider for Tim Conley in the front office, I think, over the next uh, couple of days here. Yeah, I, I misread that. I'm looking at spot track here. $7.8 million under the first apron, I read mm. it as. I read it as over. Well, that's good so, news. Well, yeah. that, that we have lots of money to sign Todd Bergeth on a, on a, <laughs> a couple of, two, a couple yeah, of 10-day yeah. contracts and the right. rest of the season deal. Yeah, just, just under the 7.8 for those, though. Yeah, let's, we come in just <laughs> under that. Uh, hey, yeah, so, uh, certainly the question is, though, Todd, like the elephant in the room all season has been, um, you know, worry about today, today, worry about yeah. tomorrow, tomorrow, but next year does um, does pose some big, interesting salary cap questions, which already you'd be in the luxury tax, and that doesn't need to take into account um, having a point guard because Mike Conley's contract is over. Kyle Anderson's contract is over. Um, you've, you've got to fill those spots somehow, too. Yeah, no doubt. 
Uh, great representation uh, this year for the Wolves, as it should have been uh, at the All-Star Game. Uh, in my own mind, I thought it would have been kind of hard to have three players on there for the Wolves. I would love to have seen Gobert as well. Terrific that Finch goes. Great representation, uh, you know, yeah. for the Wolves at the All-Star Game this year. Yeah, no doubt. And um, Yeah, I think with, with Chris Finch going and all his assistants going, um, I think they're even going to send even more people. It's really a celebration yeah. of... Uh, you know, uh, so a lot of hard work put in, and they've, it shows, you know, when you've got one of the best records in the NBA, um, a lot of things are going right. And I've seen a lot of the Timberwolves coaching staffs and front offices, um, and it hasn't run that smoothly before. This is by far the most in-line, um, you know, philosophy and culture-wise with Chris Finch and Tim Conley leading the way. And, and you know, Chris Finch was here before Tim Conley, so mm-hmm. I think Tim just kind of comes in and continues what, um, but like Sachin Gupta had uh, had started, and I just I think it speaks volumes about where this franchise is. Um, you know, yes, it's about talent on the floor, but that talent doesn't come together unless that team is cohesive, the coaching staff is cohesive, the front office is cohesive, and this is the best um, I've seen it in my 17 years with the Wolves is having that front office, coaching staff, and players all kind of aligned. I, I couldn't be more impressed with Rudy Gobert's game than I have been uh, this year. This is what Conley envisioned when he made that yeah. massive trade for Gobert was a guy who didn't just defend the rim. He defends the entire paint and outside of it, especially uh, along the baseline. I mean, he really covers up, and that allows the other guys not just gamble and let guys go straight to him, but they do such a nice job defending on the perimeter, and if they do get by, there's Gobert. Yep. And when he's on the floor, um, you know, teams are trying to get to the rim, right? Those are the high-value shots. They want threes and rim shots. And what Rudy does is, is he deters shots. He doesn't even have to block shots because teams aren't willing to shoot against him. When he's on the floor, opponents shoot only 25% of their shots um, at the rim. When he's off the floor, they shoot 31% of their shots at the rim. So that's, that's 6% less shots when he's on the floor. That is shot that's deterrence right, right there. Right. And then you mentioned that when he is guarding people, it's impossible to get the shot off. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite thing is watching opposing players go into the paint, look at Rudy, and turn around and hightail it right out of there. Mm-hmm. They want nothing to do with him. Yep. And the, other, the second favorite thing to see is when they do get uh, a smaller guard uh, switched on to Rudy, they pull him out to the perimeter, and they think that that's the, some huge advantage. For them, it's not. Rudy's really good on the perimeter. I think Carl's good in this respect too. Mm-hmm. That when they get isolated, they're really tough to score against. And so, um, yes, this is this is what they envisioned when Rudy Gobert came aboard. It never clicked last year for a variety of reasons, mainly Cat's absence for 50 plus games um, that threw a huge wrinkle in the things. Mm-hmm. And then they they just subtly changed a few things defensively, not relying on Rudy um, to, to 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 anchor everything defensively. They had to be better as a unit defensively and then have Rudy do his thing in the back. This is, there is a big difference between those two. Best defensive year that Cat has had in his career this year? Yeah, no doubt. Huh. I mean, uh, the numbers have kind of uh, – defensive field goal percentage is, um, you know, a, a metric that um, I don't know how much stock really coaches put into it, but it's, it's something. Um, it's when you're the closest defender to a shooter, you know, what do they shoot? And, and Cat's been at a career-best level this year. Um, he's had some ups and downs, some you know peaks and valleys through the season, I think. But um, he, we saw him get off to a really good start in that category and then kind of have a little lull for three or four weeks. But he's back to defending at a really high level, and that's what the Wolves need. That's, that's their identity, and they, they need to defend because um, their offense, while is, has been a top-ten shooting offense, 
They just can't stop turning the ball over, and they're not great on the offensive glass, and that's really sinking their offensive rating, which is you know in the 15 to 20 range and has been for the better part of uh, two months. So I, I know Chris Finch wants to get his, his offense into a top-10 offense, and that is one of the goals in the second half of the season. Uh, but we're already kind of midway through the second half of the season. We're 50 yeah. games in now, um, and I don't know if the Wolves can get there this late in the year. But um, So that means that you have to rely on your defense, and defense sets the tone. Um, I was just looking at some numbers today. They've been a really good first-quarter team. They were poor to start the year. Um, and, and you look at who leads the NBA, you know, breakdown off net rating by quarter. First quarters are really important. It sets the tone for the game. You, mm-hmm. it, you means you're playing downhill when you've got that lead. Um, and you look at who, who the teams are, the top of net ratings in first quarters, it's really good teams. It's, it's now Minnesota fifth. It's Boston up there. Um, the Clippers are up there. you got another up. These are teams that are, have title aspirations. You need to be a good first quarter team, in my opinion. And the Wolves have become one of those. I, I keep hearing, uh, you know, potential trade rumors surrounding the Timberwolves, maybe a backup point guard or something like that. But what tradable assets do they have without it coming off of the active roster? I mean, do they do they even yeah. have draft picks available to trade? Well, that's that's the point. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the uh, – you can't trade multiple draft picks in, in consecutive years. So yeah. I think the Wolves still, you know, could trade a first-round pick, but I think it's a long way away. And I'm not sure you want to get in the business of just shipping those off with yeah. an uncertain, you know, five years down the line. You don't, don't know how things could look. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the that's kind of the crux of it, right? You want to add to your team, but guess what? I don't want to give up any of my top eight players. Well, yeah. you have to give up something to get something. And so it's, um, you know, the one area where the Wolves could maybe help themselves is off the free agent market. If there's some players that are cut or waived, um, maybe they're a destination for a player now that they're one of the top teams, and all of a sudden they become attractive because, hey, if I'm if I'm a free agent, I don't know, maybe Kyle Lowry gets bought out. I don't know that he's a great fit for this team, but, you know, mm-hmm. he's looking around at his options and thinking, how can I make a deep playoff run? How do I get myself a, a, a chance at a title? Maybe this is an option for, for teams, for players now that the Timberwolves are really good. Yeah, I've heard the buyout market reference, too. That's what, guys get traded and they get yeah, bought so out by the their team? Thing. Yeah. Yeah, get bought out, or they agree to take a little bit less money so they can get out of their contract and sign with somebody else because they're going to double dip anyway. They'll get paid whatever they agree to on the rest of their contract and get paid kind of a veteran minimum the rest of the way. Yeah, that's the free agents that you were talking about that they might yeah. uh, scoop up free there. Free agents buy out, same, yeah, same thing at this point in the season, right? Road Warrior the next couple of weeks, Alan. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hoping for you that you get through all this travel and everything and you're feeling good at the end of it by the time you get to that all-star break, which you'll be looking forward to, I would guess. Yeah, I got through my illness. I got a little sick over uh, Christmas and so mm-hmm. able to battle through it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm ramping up towards the end of the season. But the Wolves will have a nice, after this five-game road trip before the all-star break, they have seven straight at home, Nice, I think, coming out of the all-star break. And that will even up their home versus road, because we've been road-heavy to start the year. But seven in a row at home will even things up. I think after that point, they'll have played the same number of games at Target Center as on the road. So uh, looking forward to that seven-game homestand. Wolves at the Bulls tonight. Allen will be tuned in. Thanks, Todd. Allen Horton, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on the Todd and Friends podcast. It's brought to you by Heritage Bank. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.